Welcome to Over 50, starting over, everyone. I'm Barry Edwards. And I'm Merle Garrison. This Happy is our, day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's our Thanksgiving special. So we're coming yeah. at you a couple days early. And uh, what do you got going on for Thanksgiving, Merle? Oh, you know, I got the kids coming over for Thanksgiving and uh, got a turkey in the refrigerator getting ready to be cooked. And oh, my mouth is watering already. <laughs> <laughs> we do the same thing every year. We don't want to uh, mess that up. We uh, go out to Painsville, the entire extended family. And of course, I bring my nearly world famous garlic mashed potatoes, which I'll be making early in the morning. And Lisa does her high, uh, really highly demanded um, roasted Brussels sprouts and green beans. Wow. Separately. It's not the same dish. Separately. Right, right, right. Yeah, oh, that by sounds, the way, that's great. Yes. She wanted me to make an announcement. She says that we have spread fake news on 050. Uh, once once we've done that, or is that it? That's not, that's not too bad in two and a half years or two years. Right. Now, she said that I... She was offended that I said that she uses recipes. She's like, I'm a Sicilian Italian. I, you know, I, we had this conversation. I said, I rarely, I never use a recipe. I never use a recipe. And um, I, I said that, but you know, I've seen Lisa come up with some creative dishes and use a recipe and she got really offended by that and is threatening to sue us for defamation of character. Oh, well, you can have, you can have uh, everything in my wallet. <laughs> oh god by the way oh last saturday i i hit my ribs really bad in a fall of hanging a shower curtain at a rental place and i mean the way i hit i bruised this whole side of me really bad it hurts to laugh i oh, mean no it hurts to do anything so yeah i gotta take it easy and it's the laughing that and, you know, if I feel a sneeze coming on, I do everything oh, I can gosh. to prevent that from happening. That, that sounds terrible. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I <laughs> forgot all about it until you just made me laugh. Right oh, there. sorry about that. I plan yeah. on uh, being very funny this uh, this episode if I Good. can. Be. I can't help myself. Hey, so uh, falling down isn't what it used to be, is it? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> That's for sure. I still bounce back pretty quick, I think. But yeah. I don't want to jinx myself because it's been, I don't know, four or five days now. And I'm fine during the day, to tell you the truth. It's sleeping because I'm laying on these bruises. It's like deep bruise ah, uh, all, right. all through my one side. Yeah. Do you normally sleep in the same position every night? I I favor sleeping on my right side, but I need to, I need to break it up. I need to go to the left side a little bit and just on my back a little bit on rare occasions. I lay on my stomach. What about uh, you? Yeah. I'm, I usually, I fall asleep almost in the same position every night and uh, Kate and I'm always on my left side. And uh, it's funny because when we, and I, you know, I sleep on the same side of the bed every night. And sometimes when I go, when I travel with Anne Marie, she wants to switch it up. Oh, and it just does not work for me. No, I, of course I, not. I'm like, what are we, why are we doing this? <laughs> <laughs> so now you're on your left side and your nose to nose with her and you're like, what the hell, Hello. <laughs> I'm, I'm breathing your air. It just right. doesn't work. I like to kind of 
have one like one foot over the side of the bed and if i'm on the left if i'm on the other side it doesn't work that way so yeah. it's, it's really messed up so i know i have a topic i've been wanting to co cover for a little while about mm. oh the title of it's why we are still struggling with sleep and um it's an amazing science that I only started listening to. And now I can't think of his name. There's a, a guy, very Sam Harris. That's his name. Okay. Sam Harris is a neurologist and a site, uh, something of a, not psychologist, philosopher. Mm -hmm. And uh, if people like uh, Jordan Peterson talk about him uh, often, Jordan has a great respect for him, but disagrees with a whole lot of his stuff. Uh, but he has Sam Harris is quite a following and he's got a whole podcast on sleep. Hmm. And it's something that he has struggled with throughout his life. And I only got about halfway through the first episode. And it's really fascinating, the science behind it. And really? Yeah, and I'm not ready to talk about it yet. But since we brought it up, I want to just introduce the subject. Because um, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating when you think about dreams, and how real are dreams? What are they? Where do they come from? And, huh. and how every, every uh, species needs to sleep. And it's, it's, it gets really complicated once you start listening to somebody that studied it their whole life, right, start talking right. about it. And then the effects that, that take place if we don't get good sleep, which I'm not getting ah. good sleep right now, by the Is, way, because it's oh, painful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pain it really inhibits the yeah. sleeping, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does. I really yeah. hate that. I, on the other hand, have been having just phenomenal sleep lately. Wow. And I've been having these really vivid dreams. As a matter of fact, over the last week, I had at least one dream that you were in. And uh, here's a here's here's what happened: is that you and I were at Cleveland Hopkins Airport, and we were we were coming we we're coming to California. As a matter mm -hmm. of fact, and uh, we we'd made it through security, and then you said you were going to check on something, and you had my bag for some reason. Oh. And um, then I looked at my watch, and it was time to get on the plane. And I was like, "Wait, where's Barry?" And I was in a panic, and I was calling him Barry, and I was running through the airport, and it was weird because the airport was in this little oval, and I just ran around in a circle looking for you. And then I was like, right, "Well, let me just find the plane." And for some reason, I couldn't read the airport signs right. and uh, that I woke up all in a panic. Yeah, and, boy, that's uh, a dream. I was kind of mad you. at you, actually, when I woke up. I bet. That's a <laughs> but dream for I've you. I had a couple of dreams where I was uh, either late for a plane or I couldn't find my gate. And I decided, you know, I'm going to look this up and find out what does that mean. And I uh, didn't actually like what I found. It said something like, uh, I feel like my life is out of control sure. and then I'm panicked about stuff and sure. uh, you know, I, I can relate to that with the kind of looking for a job and all. Oh. So uh, that was that. But I had a couple other dreams lately about flying, actual flying. And I always had a fantasy that I could fly, but in yeah. my dreams, I can never control where I go. It's I like know. the greatest American hero yeah. where he tries to fly and he flies into a billboard it's the kind of dreams I normally have about flying, but in this particular dream, I I could fly wherever I wanted to, and I could even do wow. tricks in the air. Oh wow! And uh, so that's got to mean something good. Yeah, so I, I think I, so. 
but I didn't look it up because I was scared that it might say something bad. So I'm just going with the I good. I don't think it would. And also, you have to realize you're reading theories. I mean, it's not like somebody kn knows you, studied you, and put uh, everything True. together there. So it's, I would take it all with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah. Another. Yeah. It's just, another, it's, it's kind of fun to think about, though. It, it was, is. It, and we're going to get back to this dream. when I do some more research on it because it's a fascinating study once we start talking about oh once i start raising some questions that you had forgotten you even had those questions too uh, hmm. it starts getting interesting but one of the biggest conundrums about sleep is the harder you try the more you get away from it and that is kind of metaphorical for probably the greatest things in life hmm. And I don't don't take that the wrong way. I mean, it's because I, what I don't mean is, OK, you got somebody that's just super driven into reaching their dream of their career. And, you know, as somebody is super driven, I, I wholeheartedly uh, inspired uh, by these kind of people that that reach those kind of dreams. But, oh, I guess I think it's kind of like faith, some of the most higher end uh it is like faith because it's letting go letting god uh, letting go is such a philosophy in and of itself that you could there's probably whole books written written on it uh because that's really hard letting go and trusting in god come on um you know when the chips are down uh well that's the whole thing about sleep the kind of same metaphor the harder you try like damn it i'm gonna get to sleep within 20 minutes because i only got two hours you know what I mean? Yeah, I know that exactly doesn't work out saying. so well. Yeah, yeah. Not, or, you know, it's typically like, oh, my God, I only got six hours to sleep. So I, I better get to sleep as soon as possible. And then, you know, you look at the clock. Oh, my God, I only got five hours. And, <laughs> and you know, we've all known that. But yeah. we will come back to that, uh, as I said, in a, in a soon, uh, soon to be had episode in the near future. But Merle, I understand that you had some things up front here you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, I had some some really great interview experiences lately. I think I was talking about this in the last show. And um, they I have a document here that uh, um, a recruiter turned me on to, which had to deal with your elevator pitch. And I thought this was, would be something that was, would be great to share. And of course, you know, your elevator pitch, I remember what first hearing about this, it sounded so corny, but it's actually a really good thing to be able to have, not only when you're looking for a job, but when you have a job, uh, you want to be able to talk about what you do in a concise manner. They call it an elevator speech or an elevator pitch because it's something that you could say very briefly, like for instance, in the span of an elevator ride and very concisely. So I just wanted to share some tips that, uh, that I was able to get from this article and hopefully we can share this, uh, share this, um, this link to this so everybody can see it. But your, your elevator speech should be very concise. Uh, let me just read the bullets here. You wanna keep your speech very short uh, and brief between 30 and 60 seconds. I'll give you a couple of examples at the end. Uh, you need to be persuasive on this as well. Uh, you wanna share your skills and practice, practice, practice. You wanna make sure that when you give your elevator pitch that uh, it doesn't sound like it's a, a rehearsed kind of thing 
You certainly don't want to be monotone when you do this, but be yourself, be positive and flexible and mention your goals, know your audience when you speak to them and have a business card ready uh, to, to hand out when you give this. Another thing is you don't want to speak too fast, but you also don't want to be rambling on and on and keep make sure, for sure you keep this to 30 to 60 seconds. I'm, again, I'm going to give you a, uh, an example in a second. Here's one is, is don't frown. I, I don't know why you would frown when you're giving your, your speech, but don't, don't do that. That's a don't. Well, and, that's a good one. Uh, here's another one is uh, res restrict yourself to a single elevator pitch. Um, you may be uh, doing two different things, or maybe you're looking for two different kinds of jobs. You want to be succinct. You don't want to be confusing. You want to be spot on on these things. So uh, keep it to, to one. Again, practice, practice, practice. Let me give you a couple of examples. I think this is uh, actually pretty cool. Um, here's one. I have a decade's worth of experience in accounting, working primarily with small and mid-sized firms. If your company's ever interested, or if, if see, this is why you got to practice. <laughs> yeah. um, if your company is ever in need of an extra set of hands, I'd be thrilled to consult. And uh, here's one that's sort of along the lines of uh, your kind of business, Barry, is uh, I create illusions for websites and, and brands. My passion is coming up with creative ways to express a message and drawing illusions that people share on social media. Now, what's good about that, I thought that you would get that into one of your earlier uh, bullet points, but I've, some of the better advice I've heard in the past on um, elevator pitches is make sure you create a question that they want to ask more about. They want to follow up on that. I think illustrated it, that one right there I, about the illusions on websites. Now you're going, wow, what does that mean? Yeah. Illusions on you websites. Get, get them engaged. I see that. So right, that's, a, right. that's a good one. It's a good example. Um, and if you are looking for a, a new position, you want to definitely talk about what it is that you're looking for. That's how you want to end and, and be succinct on that as well. This isn't a, a resume that you're giving. You're not trying to give all the facts of your career or anything like that. It's a, it's sort of like a movie trailer. Uh, you want to give them enough to want to know more. I, I There you go. I think you said it uh, really good there. Now, I would just... Uh, expound on that a little bit, that if you're like in a networking uh, group type situation, you definitely want to be prepared with the one minute, the 30 second to one minute uh, spiel, where you can, you know, expound on some things. But if you're at a party, if you're truly in an elevator or something like that, man, I think you better be able to give that in 10 seconds. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, no, you're kidding. being self-indulgent and people just want to get away from you. Yeah, that's a good point right there. You never know what floor these people are going to get off on, too. So <laughs> Makes all the difference, doesn't it? It does, actually. No, I think that that's really uh, great advice. I, Because of being in marketing for so long, there's so many versions of it. You could take this as far down as your phrase that's called a slogan. And uh, so you really pare it down and just kind of hopefully hit your target audience with what you do. Like I create dynamic branding materials that target your audience. That's mine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Dynamic mm -hmm. branding materials. And that is truly descriptive of what I do. And the fact that I target your audience is uh, definitely the, um, 
the the priority. Uh, but then you can even think of uh, well, I guess I said it. There's the introductory phrase where you introduce you're shaking someone's hand and like, hey, what do you do? Don't go on for thirty seconds. You know, so have a have a two. I think the one that you gave about the uh, I create illusions on websites thing is perfect for that kind of situation. Yeah, I think so, too. And notice those were very short and sweet, probably under 30 seconds. But here's something that's interesting, too, is that as I uh, was practicing my own, um, I noticed that uh, time gets away pretty quickly, that uh, 30 seconds to one minute seems like 30 seconds to one minute when you're doing it. But then when you look at if you're timing it, yeah. uh, it, it always time goes a lot faster than you think it's going. Yeah. And for that reason, make sure that you uh, at least allude to who your target audience is so they can qualify themselves and then to the results that you give that target audience and that you can get more concise within that time frame. Again, practice, 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 make it yours. Uh, but uh, you, you want to, yeah. you want to feel good. You want to feel good when you're doing this. So, uh, you know, it's funny, you mentioned these uh, networking groups. I, I used to belong to a, a pretty big one. And I remember, you know, one of the things was you go around the room and everybody gives their little elevator pitch and the, the good ones really stand out. I mean, you know, like you, you yes, really remember do. those and the way that they give them with enthusiasm, but not not fake. Uh, the, 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 it, it draws you to those people. You you want to talk to them after the the event is over just because you well. You like them. There's something about an elevator pitch that if you do it the right way, you you genuinely have the other person genuinely has a warm feeling towards that person. You know, and it's not just that it's when you have it down, I'm getting I'm punctuating your point on when you really have it down uh, and you believe in it, you got it nailed. Your, your enthusiasm with it will shine through. And boy, is that contagious. That's, that's the person that you're talking about, where somebody that gives that perfect elevator pitch, you like them. And, yeah. uh, and it sticks out in your mind. That's what it takes. Is gotta, you got to know that you have it nailed and that it's true and you believe in it. You know, it's, it's reminding me of um, uh, something that I, I have a, a guy that I'm very, uh, I, I admire a great deal. His name is Casey Fleming, and he was talking about his, his top three rules in, in selling. And um, his, they are, uh, they, people buy from people they like. We've heard that yes. all of our oh, lives. Oh, it's so true. Right? So it, true. It really is. And, that, and it really ties into and this trust. whole elevator speech. Uh, th- that was the next one. They must respect you and trust you. Mm-hmm. And then finally, number three is you got to make logical sense so that they'll listen to you. So you keep those three bullet points in mind. Yeah. You know, it's easy to say these things. But uh, it's quite another thing to put them into practical use. So, again, it comes back to practice. And practice sometimes means do it in front of somebody that you're not going to feel comfortable in front of when you do it. It just brings me back to when you were uh, in that speech class when we were in college and you would do those speeches in front of me. It was so awkward, but at the same time, we laughed the whole time, too. It helps so much. When you can laugh at yourself, that was the thing, Barry, that I thought you did so well is that you you can laugh at yourself. And uh, that made it really fun. Yeah, well, you guys 
Now, you guys, you and your brother, you give me this positive feedback when I practice my speeches. It, it's life changing at a pivotal point in your life, like college. I mean, I always thought that about speech class when I took that class and I would do that to myself. Like, oh, this isn't for like, you know, another four months from now. That's so it's like it's never going to happen and I'll sign up for it. And the fact of the matter is I was like most people, especially at that age, I was terrified at the thought of getting up in front of the class and doing these great big speeches. Mm. And that's why I did it. And so I watched a lot of people fail during that class. And that had I'm sure that had a ripple effect on their lives. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, <laughs> and that's why I work so hard on that, because I was really afraid. You know, we've all heard people are more afraid of giving a speech than they are of death. That's quite a statement right there. Yeah. No kidding. I don't think that's my attitude ever. I, oh, it's <laughs> yeah. But you had a, a speech. But you had a really funny story about when you were I remember when you were in fifth grade. And oh, yeah, that was my was, first speech. Yeah, people thought you were having a heart attack. I thought I was I thought I was having a heart attack. Actually, <laughs> I thought I was it was a speech on UFOs. And um, I had studied all about these UFOs and everything. And so I got up in front of the class and I, I my, didn't even get a minute into it. And I was I was having a panic attack, but I'd never had a panic attack before and thought I was having a heart attack. And I, I clutched to my heart and I couldn't hardly breathe. And I ran out of the room and several of the, they was so humiliating. And later on, several of my classmates told me that they thought that a UFO had come in and, and like was mad that I was talking about them and shot some kind of beam into my heart or something. Oh, trying <laughs> to you think laugh. I would never want to do a speech again yes. after that. Uh, but, How do you uh, think you got over that? You know, there's just something about my personality that it made me mad that I, I couldn't do that. And so I, I had to I had to face it and do it some more, yeah. I guess. I mean, I, that was turned out to be my major in college. So oh, right, uh, right. I don't know why I would what, what's wrong yeah. with me. I don't know. But it's worked for me all these years. You know, have you ever had a bad experience so like i mean that was my first one but have you ever had any like go something just go terribly wrong in a presentation before uh not off the top of my head i didn't know that that's where you're going my mind was going in a different direction um but i not terribly no not terribly because i I over prepare that's what that class taught me is that I had that typical fear and anxiety of doing speeches so badly that what I learned from that is prepare, prepare, prepare so that you can say the speech without it's so prepared that it's coming out your mouth and you're not thinking about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've had these experiences uh, in, in sales where I have a lot of times in, in my line of work, I've had to show up with a sales engineer that gives a demo of the product. Mm. And the problem with that is a lot of times the demo doesn't actually technically work. Mm. And then you got to dance. And mm. that is, there's, that is a terrible, terrible place because you've got these people yeah. that you've brought in at sea level. They don't have a lot of time, yeah. especially for something like that. And I tell you what, um, that can cause some serious anxiety. And, you know, but at the same time, it's it's uh, experience in that area 
is actually not a bad thing because something can go wrong no matter what. Mm -hmm. And when the more you learn how to relax in a situation like that and realize that even these C-level people have stuff like this happen, the more calm you can be, the more that you can be relaxed and actually guide people through, you know, an alternative plan. Yeah. That's actually a pretty cool thing to be able to do. And I've had a lot of experience doing that. Well, that's when you are, unfortunately, when you really know your product and uh, that's, that's a must so that you can, uh, it's, it's just like giving a big sales presentation, as you're saying to really important people, and then you're open for questions you better be able to field the hard questions. Well, you know, so, Barry, so seek out the hard audiences. I'll add to that too and say this, it comes back to being likable and being trust, trusted yeah, and being yeah. able to say something that makes logical sense. Everyone, and there's a psychology to this, that everyone can feel empathy towards the person that's in the spotlight like that. Yeah. And somebody that can gracefully maneuver through that even make fun of themselves without yeah. that nervous kind of laugh and everything. Yeah. People genuinely warm up. Sometimes it could be the very best thing that could happen. Agreed. You know, Steve Jobs was notorious for that. I don't know if notorious is the right word, but he was very respect, respected for that because um, yeah, I'd read about that. He would be given demonstrations at Apple World. I think that's what it was called. And, uh, you know, tech goes wrong all the time. It and does. he could roll with it on a worldwide stage. He could roll uh, with it. Yeah, that's a, it's an a amazing lot. talent, but it takes, again, practice, practice, practice. And, some and a belief in yourself. In front of the customers and or in, in front of a world stage. Yes, and I'll say for the 100th time that if any of this is like uh, prohibitive to you, like you you won't expound, expand in your career because you just can't stand being in front of people and all that, go to Toastmasters. I've said it a hundred times. It is a really positive environment uh, that with positive feedback that you'll quickly, you'll learn what you're not good at, but be able to improve on it and make the mistakes uh, right there in real time. And you'll be proud of yourself when you go home. It won't be yeah, a bad I've experience. never heard anyone say anything negative about Toastmasters. Mm, Always right. super positive. Right. Uh, wait, does that... Is that is there uh, how much like was that a big investment to be involved in Toastmasters? No, I think it was like uh, I think it was ninety dollars every six months because oh. I would only go I wouldn't go in the summer like through the nice uh, months of the year I'd be yeah. riding my bike and who cares I'd pay for it though I mean so right. it wasn't so big that I didn't care and uh, but then I would show up in the fall and it'd be like. You know, it's like what I uh, started doing uh, during COVID is I said that I got to watch and make sure that I have my time allocated for in a positive way during the darker months of the year. Or mm -hmm. I could start sliding in that seasonal affective disorder, that depression. Mm -hmm. It's happened to me many times over the years. You don't notice it. It happens so slowly. So as I said, uh, a year, about a year ago, I started uh, doing volunteer work at the nature center over here. And boy, that was a good move, a really good move. But it, like I said, in other ways, you could do something like Toastmasters. And it's a really great way to be around positive people and doing something productive when you may be just sitting at home watching Netflix during that time, usually. 
Yeah, it's amazing. I remember living in uh, up in uh, Cleveland and Chicago, and um, yeah. spring rolled out. Every you'd see people outside finally doing stuff, yeah. and uh, and you know wearing shorts and a t shirt. And boy, everybody was so pale. Yeah, that's how I'm starting <laughs> to feel already. Hey, you want to make a switch towards some more like transition with some entertainment stuff? I got well, something. Yeah, Go ahead, yeah. Go you got something on your mind. You know, I got a couple of movies that I saw over the last okay. week. Some incredible movies. This particular one I saw last night. Merle's Movie Review. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was called uh, Solomon Northrop's, uh, Northrop's Odyssey. And this wow. was... Uh, uh, it was an amazing uh, story about a, a guy who was a who was kidnapped <clears throat> back in the 1840s, a black guy up in uh, up in New York, and sold into slavery. Now I was watching this movie; it's an amazing story of what happens, and uh, and I thought the 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 story kind of seemed familiar as I was watching it. It was this was uh, aired in 1984, and it turns out that uh, another movie was made about the same story. It's a true story uh, called Twelve Years a Slave, which oh. won several Academy Awards. But this was a uh, I, I guess one of the first movies that was done on this, what a crazy story this guy has, uh, you know, 12 years, he, he was in slavery for 12 years and they finally figured out uh, up North where he was. The fact was, is that when he got sold into slavery, they took him down to New Orleans and slowed up, sold him on the slave market and they changed his name. So the people that were looking for him up North had no way of being able to find yeah. him. Anyway, it's an amazing, it's, it really is an odyssey, uh, how this person was able to survive it and really what was happening in the deep South during the slave yeah. period. It's just terrifying and terrible. But one of the good things that came out of this uh, story for Solomon Northrop is that uh, he was an educated man. And when he was finally freed, he uh, put together an autobiography and put that on the market in 1852. It became a bestseller. Wow. And uh, this sparked, this was part of what sparked the uh, abolitionist movement. Interestingly, also in 1852, another book came out by Harriet Beecher Stowe called Uncle Tom's Cabin, which also was a big part of what sparked the abolitionist movement, also a, bit, a big bestseller. I just read that book last year. And um, interestingly, the Uncle Tom was actually a, a slave in, in New Orleans as well, along the same Red River. Uh, which is a notorious area for slavery because um, there's a lot of farming that's done there. But anybody that would think about escaping, they it was virtually impossible to escape from mm. because it was the whole area is surrounded by swampland and snakes. And of course, there were slave catchers there. So 
There was really no way to get out of it. Slavery was particularly brutal in that area. And uh, of course, Uncle Tom in that story, he had been transferred from a slave plantation in Tennessee where there was like a good owner that really took care of his slaves. But he, due to gambling, he had to sell his slaves. And um, Uncle Tom got sold down into New Orleans where the, the word was that if you got sold down into that area, then you would die you know, in those labor situations. So a uh, crazy story, highly recommend it. If you get a chance, would you uh, catch it on that one? Uh, this was on Turner classic movies, which by the way, I love that station. I, 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 these old movies, they just don't make them like that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but they really don't. And uh, I happened to see another one, uh, which was um, Singing in the Rain with Gene Kelly. And I thought oh. I'd never seen that movie before. And I almost didn't want to watch it because I'm not into that kind of dance kind mm -hmm. of movie or Me whatever. Either. But I forced myself to watch, you know, once you get past the beginning and the theme music, it's like, oh, what? A it was freaking hilarious that is a funny movie it's a it's really a rom-com the dancing in it was actually amazing gene kelly is outstanding in this movie but the comedy in this movie was actually really good i would not recommend this movie to you right now barry until you get over your rib thing mm, yeah there you go for sure <laughs> i i just started watching a couple nights ago a new um series and it's really wild. The premise is totally wild. When you think about the day and age we live in, it's called clickbait. And oh, I feel like I've heard of that. It, I, well, it's really new. And I'll just tell you a little bit. Well, I haven't finished it, but um, it's uh, about this guy. He's married uh, young. I'd say later 20s, uh, something like that. They do have a couple kids and it's seen mostly through the eyes of the guy's sister. And anyways, the guy ends up disappearing. This is right. Boom. Right away in uh, episode one, he disappears and inadvertently they, it is the, the sister sees a video on social media and goes, Oh my God, that's my brother. He's beaten up bloody. And he's holding a sign that says I abuse women. And then they uh, he's made to uh, put that down and hold up another sign that says I will be killed when this hits 5 million clicks. Views. Yeah. Oh, so then, you know so what happens? This starts. Wow. So yeah, this starts going viral. And uh -huh. so here's the bittersweet thing. It's like, well, it's spreading awareness about this. Everybody's really interested yet. Oh my God. Now the clicks, they got this ticker running. And it is just going faster and faster and faster towards 5 million. And it hits 5 million. And the guy is this has disappeared. And that's, uh, and then like all of the comments section, this is like, as if it's on YouTube or whatever, they don't call it that. Uh, it could be on any social media platform to tell you the truth. Same thing. All the comments are just speculation about what a horrible person this is. Now they're taking sides. You don't know his story. How do you know everything that goes on today? And uh, extremely interesting. Extremely wow. interesting. Where, now, where, where do you get to see this? That's on Netflix. I think it's on a Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Clickbait. Wow. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That sounds yeah. mind blowing. 
Yeah, just uh, it's fascinating. Like, I, I think it's very clever uh, the way that it's written when you think about the day and age we're in. All right, so this is still within the entertainment part, sports, sports, though. I Did you see this a couple days ago? I heard about it. I did not see it. Now, this is about Los Angeles Lakers star LeBron James was ejected from Sunday's game in Detroit after delivering a brutal blow to, to the face of Pistons center Isaiah Stewart, who was left with a gruesome cut over his right eye. And boy, I've seen a lot of different video on this. And this one doesn't show it that well. This is the predominant video that you'll see. And it's right here at the very beginning. I'll hit it a couple of times. Now, do you see, do you see him right there? Right uh, there. And, but oh, there's okay. somewhat, yeah, but you saw the results of it. And yeah, it was totally deliberate. Um, and uh, I just wonder what become, this is a uh, still from above. I, gotcha. I saw a couple of videos huh. from above that were a lot better, but I, oh, I think this is it right here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, open this thing up. And okay. We just missed that. by the <laughs> Where, where, where's okay. LeBron on this? Okay. He, right here. Oh, I see him. now. Nope. Nope. Right down there. And then you just saw so replay it because it goes really quick. It sure does. See that? Yes. Now I do. Right. Right. Let me try that again. So yeah, he that looks uh, it, yeah he had Last that plan. Yep, that was oh, a, oh that was a, yeah a elbow yeah. and one more time elbow and fist right here. Yeah, yeah. that's brutal. Well, the the end result certainly was like a sucker punch right there. Yeah. So then this guy, Isaiah Stewart, just went nuts trying to escape uh, being held back from everybody and uh, go after LeBron. And I mean, somebody made the uh, comment of, my God, if the Detroit Lions had a running back that could break that many tackles that they'd be in the Super Bowl. Um, So I, I just it seemed really out of character for LeBron. And but the yeah, game I've never goes, heard of him doing anything like that. Uh, yeah, before. the game goes really quick, though, you know, and it's it's intense. And God only knows that they're trash talking with each other or maybe he they do a lot of elbowing in there. If, yeah, you know. they really do. I mean, basketball is uh, it, it, it's sort of a brutal sport when you get down in the paint and everything. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's uh, you got to be tough. Uh, I've uh, although that just was unacceptable what happened i mean it looked like he was planning that from the start he really yeah well i don't know i i really don't know i it looked to me like he was frustrated and yeah, uh, the frustration yeah. got to him yeah. so i mean maybe the guy was covering him way better than he thought lebron should be covered you know yeah, uh, lebron's always in the news no matter what happens uh, he makes himself a story and uh he does it's pretty pretty crazy i you know we have him out here in los angeles now and it's like mm -hmm. he followed me out here apparently mm -hmm. uh but uh you know i don't know do, do people still like lebron i i don't I nah, don't know. not really i i mean i don't know i'm i'm very far removed from the the basketball scene but just the sentiment that I'll hear on sports talk radio every now and then is nah, not really. Yeah. yeah. He opens up his mouth too much with, and 
saying that he's educated and he's not educated on a subject very well. Well, he certainly seems to be a mouthpiece for parties that I am not uh, a fan of. So, right, right. Hey, uh, just uh, segueing a little bit, wondering if you saw anything about NASA's first ever planetary planetary defense mission is ready to launch this week. It actually did yesterday to hmm. test if an asteroid can be deflected by crashing a spacecraft into it at 15,000 miles an hour. Think the movie Armageddon. Yeah. yeah. You know, well, basically, yeah. Yesterday, as I recall, the, the, the spacecraft took off and it's this <laughs> box, box shaped thing. It got a little animation of uh, how big that thing is. Holy cow. Well, it's actually tiny when you. Well, yeah, in the watch, watch. See, this is it. It takes a giant rocket to take this tiny little thing out there. <laughs> and then so this is the animation of what it's to do. It's got a solar uh, panel there to charge it to uh, get it up to speed. And then when you watch the impact, it's like, man, I hope I hope it's got a nuclear warhead on it because. I don't see this doing a whole lot, but I think the whole thing is fascinating. Say a no little, kidding. I mean, I guess yeah. you could say it looks little. It's seen, well, yeah, yeah, it looks little. Yeah. But so they, they actually crashed it already into the- No, no, it just launched yesterday. like okay. yesterday, I think it was. And uh, I think it's gonna take a year before, oh. before the impact. I see, okay. reaches it. So here it's about to, in the animation, it's about to hit, and watch this. Oh, why didn't it? Well, that's weird. I guess that they want us to I tune in for saw, the next episode. I must have saw another one. There uh, <laughs> we go, because I watched the impact. Yeah, maybe this, this is, yeah, yeah, this should be it. It's short, 22 seconds. And it's kind of like, see oh. that? That yeah. asteroid is going to be like, like you threw a pebble at it. It not even that, like a fly. Yeah, yeah. So this is what I saw. We had to watch that whole video <laughs> with the music, with the right. Captain Kangaroo music. Right. But I think it's kind of. I always like space stuff anyway. And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, what? What are they? I guess they're thinking uh, anytime an asteroid might be threatening the earth that this would be to be prepared their... for it. How much, mm. how much force does it take? Like, I would think that they have mathematical models that could totally figure that out. I would you think know? so too. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I always want to th think about, I always look at our space programs and when they tell us they're doing something like this, I always think there might be some kind of other reason why they're doing this because Typically, our space program, it's, it's a good they talk about all these flowery things that are really cool that stimulate our mind. But usually it has something to do with defense. And oh, um, sure. I wonder if they're thinking, you know, well, what if uh, China, for instance, put something up there that can deflect a meteor into our country? Uh, how do we deflect it out of our country? Interesting, dude. Yeah. I think it was yesterday I saw headlines, and for some reason I didn't bother taking the notes on it. But China claimed that they have uh, maybe if they're talking about their hyper hypersonic missiles, but they said that they could take out all of our missiles, no problem. And that's like, whoa, man! They've been getting very aggressive in their speech. 
Yeah, they really have. It's uh, it's really very threatening the way that they have been, especially they've seemed to have ratcheted up the the talk. We talked last week about the Joe Biden summit. And uh, interestingly, this week, uh, Jen Psaki was asked about, uh, well, did did Joe Biden bring up coronavirus and investigating the Wuhan lab? And she, uh, well, semi-professionally dodged the answer to that question, mm-hmm. saying that everybody knows that's on the top of our agenda, but she would never directly answer the question, did he actually bring it up during the during the uh, during the summit? It's I know a pretty good thing, answer. Yeah, yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna answer that question. I, I it feels like that uh, Biden got owned in that summit, sure uh, sure but uh, we'll never actually we'll probably never actually know the real details of what happened in the summit. Uh, I don't think China's ever going to allow any kind of real investigation of what happened there. But we did hear earlier this week that there's some kind of connection to uh, the country of Laos and uh, that there's these uh, these bats that are in Laos that have been, and I wouldn't say discovered, they were known, but we're just uncovering this, that the DNA of the uh, Corona cells, and for lack of better term, were very closely matched to Corona uh, virus nineteen, COVID nineteen, and that there's some kind of connection between the Wuhan lab and this bat cave in Laos. So they hmm. feel like they're getting a little bit closer to identifying where this all came from. Who knows, though? Oh, that's know. that's interesting. I didn't interesting. I didn't see anything about that. I mean, I know that we got the big news that is, you know, heavily covered this week. God, it's been something between Rittenhouse and uh, the guy that uh, mowed through that parade. And you know how to say that town. Waukesha. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Boy, that's a whole lot of a uh, whole lot of stuff going on right there. I'd say what was kind of interesting that maybe hasn't been beaten to death in the news yet is because it just came out written a house is threatening to uh, have his lawyers uh, sue Biden. He's asking for a, a, an official apology from Biden for calling him a white supremacist. And then, um, man, I heard somebody on crystal and saga, they are interviewing some journalist, uh, a, a left-wing journalist who's saying uh, everybody's getting all upset about white supremacists, but what they don't understand is what it means to you is different than what it means to us. Here we go with the redefining of words again. And so she was trying to argue the point, and they were really allowing it, that uh, white supremacist is, is kind of like in line with uh, the whole systemic racism, white, uh, uh, white privilege. That's kind of hmm. what it is. Hmm. So now we're de- uh, lowering and changing and twisting definition of words. Boy, they, that's uh, going on all the time. And I really find that disturbing. Yeah, but I the, find the defamation of character thing to be uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, I think he's got a he probably has a really good case on that. Uh, I saw uh, Kyle Rittenhouse interviewed on Tucker Carlson this week, and it was a pretty interesting interview. Um, this, uh, this you know, you, know, you you forget the, the guy's only 18. I mean, he's a kid. 
just to go on a show like that, I can imagine being super nervous about that whole thing. And he came off uh, pretty calm, even though he said that he I was saw freaking out. Yeah, yeah he's, uh, I thought he was uh, very well put together, probably very well rehearsed. Remember what I said about taking the speech class and just got to be super prepared. It's a matter of you know, how, how hard, uh, how nervous you are. It just comes out. Yeah, after being uh, in the spotlight the way that he has been over the last year, mm. uh, you know, I guess that uh, you start to get used to being in the spotlight. But uh, boy, you know, it's really interesting to me, Barry, to hear the the different points of view um, coming about this Rittenhouse trial. I mean, we you and I, I think, both saw a lot of videotape evidence from the trial. Uh, we heard a lot of information about this, but it's amazing to me to hear some takes from the other side. For me, it was very clearly self-defense that was happening. Maybe he shouldn't have been where he was as a 17-year-old kid. That. I don't understand that. What the what was his motivation? There was a there was talk about that about that he shouldn't cross state lines with the gun, but then, oh, the gun was already over there. He didn't bring yeah. it with him. Uh, all of that was a whole lot of, uh, I don't know, mucky, mucky stuff going on. Well, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the misinformation that was really perpetrated by the news. And I would say oh, yeah. that it was all around. Um, we didn't get the whole story from any news station, really. Um, you know, yes. one of them was regarding that gun and uh, the fact that, you know, he Kyle Rittenhouse actually worked in Kenosha at the time that this happened. He was a lifeguard there. Uh, his father actually lives in Kenosha. He considers Kenosha to be his his town. And um, we're we were never told any of that type of information. Um, you know, we've got a, a story here from Rittenhouse's uh, lawyer who was ripping MSNBC and CNN for for missing basic facts uh, in mm -hmm. an interview that we saw this this week where uh, let's see, I'm just pulling this up right now where he was talking about uh, uh, one of the reporters who. Let's see. And uh, Joe Scarborough, Scarborough, oh, yeah. actually. Uh, I used to like that, that guy. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that way about him. And then he kind of like went nutty just, left. Yeah. And uh, so Scarborough, this is something he says. And when I hear first off, he's saying just in the last two weeks, you know, uh, you people may not believe this, but I watch MSNBC and CNN. This is Rittenhouse's uh, yeah. lawyer. And he says, I'm not a big Fox guy. And when I hear Joe Scarborough saying my client shot his gun 60 times, that's wrong. And when I hear some mm -hmm. guest host on Joy Reid say my client drove four hours to go to a riot with his AR, that's wrong. It's false. And, uh, you know, some people believed that uh, Rittenhouse went up there uh, snuck across state lines to kill black people. And then he killed three, two or three black people at a Black Lives Matter um, uh, rally, uh, a peaceful protest. And just, you know, that's that's so crazy how that kind of story yeah. went out. Yeah. Here's another one that I was seeing, too, is that uh, this uh, person says uh, she, that she has elderly relatives that only watch NBC Nightly News and had no idea about the BLM and Tifa riots and saw only coverage of peaceful marches. And they 
they called me on uh on January 6th in tears and said, you never called me this upset during the riots last year, I remarked to one. And they said, what riots? <laughs> well, really that's crazy. for sure. Yeah, if you watch that one side of the news, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, it's too bad. Hey, but so I saw this really interesting um, story that uh, and this was on Fox News. This is uh, Lawrence Jones. I don't know if you've ever seen that guy before. Yeah, I, I like him. I really like him, too. And I'm just going to read this because uh, he was talking about um, he was talking about this uh, story and how, you know, these people are in the media saying, well, if Kyle Rittenhouse, Rittenhouse would have been a black guy, they would have thrown him under the jail. And you, you hear this on all kinds of stations mm -hmm. uh, and just people in general say this. I had somebody tell me this before. Um, and uh, I'm just going to read this, what he said, if, if liberal media were actually journalists, they wouldn't have to ask, what if this happened to a black man? We know, look no further than the story of Andrew Coffey, the, the fourth. So instead, let me do their job and tell America what happened. In March 2017, Andrew Coffey was asleep in his home when a SWAT team arrived with a search warrant for his father. When police detonated a flashbang device before entering, Coffey woke up thinking he was being robbed. Being a gun over, Coffey opened fire, looking to defend his home. When police returned fire, Andrew's girlfriend, Alteria Woods, was tragically caught in the crossfire and killed by police. Now, each side claimed the other shot first, but it was Coffee who was eventually charged with second-degree murder and three counts of attempted murder of law enforcement. After more than four years of legal proceedings, Coffee's name was cleared on Friday, just this past Friday, mm. when he was found not guilty of murder and attempted murder charges. Coffee was still found guilty of a weapon possession charge and will face sentencing for that. But here's the important part. The decision came down the same day as the Rittenhouse verdict, uh, and yet everyone on the left chose to ignore it. And you have to ask yourself why. Well, we know that's because Andrew Coffey's story doesn't fit into their narrative. Mm, so there mm, it is. Um, it's, it's true. It's so crazy. And you make this point all the time, Barry, about how it seems to me that a lot of people in the general public are starting to realize that the news media, the mainstream news media, and I include Fox in this as well, yep. is just not telling us the true story out there. They've got an agenda. It seems like the agenda is to pit us against each other it is. so we can't actually speak to each other and we we hate everybody uh yep. and we're just divided and, and we feel like victims so that we can be manipulated in some way yeah, and no. that's opened up the door for alternative media like these podcasts like we're a part of to actually come and tell what really happened and people are people are are starting to get it well, make no mistake that this political elite uh, is they know pushing the racial narrative out there gets us all pitted against each other while they're passing these horrible bills that are just laced with uh, uh, what's what's the cor corporate interest stuff, which they just get their palms greased on. And uh so that's that's really what it's about It's push the racial narrative and it works every time people then fight amongst themselves. Here's one for you. 
I'll bet you nobody knows about this, especially if you're on the left, because uh, here's the New York Times spin on it. Just the heading. Jeff Bezos gives $100 million to the Obama Foundation. Uh, isn't that. that nice? Oh, that's yeah. so nice that he dedicated to the Obama Foundation. It sounds like the Clinton Foundation. Sounds like a money laundering scheme to me. But uh, Crystal and Sagar did a beautiful segment on this. I have a link to a nine minute video, a YouTube video. So you got to watch it because they really bring it. And basically they, they give the credit to the journalist who uncovered this. He, he followed, he followed the breadcrumbs. And so Bezos is actually caught giving a hundred million dollars to Obama's fake library. And uh, that's the uh, that's the heading for their new segment here. Wow. This independent journalist tracks the hundred million dollar donate donation uh, to the uh, Obama Foundation. And it's said to go to a personal library, not a true presidential library like every other president has done. That's run by the National Archive. Right. Where historical things are all meant to be tidied up and you know everything is certified and and legit. No, it's going to a personal library. It's a fake library. And of course, it's going to be a tribute to Obama himself. And it's being built, no less, it's being built on public parkland, which is also coming under debate. So you're not going to catch that on your favorite uh, left-leaning journalistic platform, for sure. And this is just sickening. This is the Obama's they talked about this on there too. As soon as they got out of office, uh, Barack goes uh, parading around with a um, uh, uh, billionaire guy that goes into space, a Brit- British yeah. guy, Virgin yeah, Airlines guy. Yeah, the Virgin Airlines guy. Yeah. Right, right. And I Bezos. That. Yep. And Bezos. And well, yeah, this story is about Bezos. So, and then th- wasn't it just a month or two ago? They just threw this lavish party or wedding birthday party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No one was wearing masks or anything like that. They're so above it all. They're in this celebrity elite kind of class now. Yeah. That's sick, isn't it? I mean, doesn't it just send a message loud and clear? I mean, it's Paris Hilton, for instance, got married recently. Look at the photos of that. No one's wearing masks except for the the people serving. They got to wear a mask. But all of the super rich people no one's wearing masks and it just brings you back to these sci-fi movies um what was it soylent green i don't know if you've seen that movie but uh, very very similar like the the elite they're able to have steak and they live in these posh places Mm -hmm. and you know and they're not wearing masks they wear masks in that particular movie it's from the 70s uh but everybody else they can't have meat and they they're basically eating this soylent green which is which is humans um <laughs> anyway we're going down that road boy it sure does seem that way it sure does seem that way and we're just uh, like commodity i mean the average everyday people were just commodity now and they're they're just trying to get us to produce and produce and produce and they just keep sucking the money out of us and they're taking it every which way back uh, except that, back to us yeah and back to the hundred million dollars from bezos first off you know you're right sounds like money laundering to me as well because this is these foundations uh really skyrocketed as soon as the irs uh was formed back Mm -hmm. in the 19-teens and the reason was you know all these philanthropic foundations came out the rockefeller foundation being one of them these super rich people found a way to 
to to hide their money so they wouldn't be taxed by the IRS. And, and then that money is really not accounted for. And a lot of times the money, and I'm not accusing anybody, but I do know this, that a lot of times the money is being used in high crime. Uh, even terrorism. Sure. And yeah, so sure. th these are things that uh, when you take a look at who's behind these things, I think it's, I think that there needs to be a lot more investigative journalism by people like Chris yeah. and Sager uh, for Back that as well. The, in the same podcast episode. Now they put out their uh, segments on YouTube and everything. And I, you know, I don't like, I don't need to waste my time watching it. I like to listen to it when I'm at the gym or shopping or whatever. So I listen to the whole episode. I'm trying to say, I strongly suggest that you guys do that too. Go to uh, your favorite podcast channel of choice and type in breaking points and it'll come up. It is, they blow away the ratings of mainstream media. Um, and it's, they just keep growing as uh, mainstream media keeps shrinking in their ratings and uh, further. So uh, they also mentioned within the same podcast about Hunter Biden. Uh, I forget, I'm paraphrasing everything here, but you know, he was known, is known to own 10% of 10% uh, of stock, I believe in a particular Chinese company. And as it became known, Oh, and he was on the board of directors. So, Oh, and this, this company happens to produce the cobalt, Cobalt, yes, it goes into batteries, which, wow. So why would they want Hunter, who's not really qualified to do anything other than smoke crack? Uh, why do they want him on the board of directors? Why, do they, why does he have 10% stake in this? Well, cobalt being part of batteries. Well, what happens if the electric car industry gets a big push? Well, look who gets rich and uh, look who gets kickbacks. Um, our senile president. So this is how that all goes. And yeah. back to the main point, if you keep the public all stirred up with racism stuff and all this propaganda, all this fake news, uh, then they're never going to see all of this that's going on right under their nose. They're not even going to notice all of the, every politician, Republican and Democrat and getting big fat rich cat off of the pharmaceutical industries getting pushed back when they're supposed to be fighting for lowering pharmaceutical prices within the uh, build back better bills. They've been promising that since like 2008 and they, and they pull it out. They, they put it in there and then, Oh, well, they're demanding that we strip things down. So what goes out first, the pharmaceutical mm. stuff, they strip that down to something like 2000 drugs were supposed to be able to be negotiated. It's down to 25. And I think if I recall, it, Sagar it, uh, goes over that. If I recall, that doesn't even go into effect until after this administration is out. So by the time a new administration comes, they'll just renegotiate it. In other words, nothing, nothing happens here. And people like Kirsten uh, Cinema, she she ran on a platform of re rehabilitating the whole pharmaceutical uh, industry. And boy, does she do an about face, especially when I think it's called Big Front Pharma. Yeah. Put one point two five million dollars behind her in campaign. Oh, man, this is she's totally so crazy. Off. But, you know, Barry, you brought up several subjects right there. And I, I find it interesting how these all might be tied together. We talked about 
the summit that happened and we didn't hear anything about it. Yeah. You brought up uh, Hunter Biden and, and the cobalt thing. Uh, you think about it is that, you know, like you said, Joe Biden actually came up with all cars need to be electric by 2030. I mean, that's right around the corner. Yeah. Um, you also, you've got Biden talking about the environment and global, I guess it's called climate change. Now it's not global warming anymore because it, it got it got colder. So now you got to call <laughs> it something else. Redefining once again, another one we brought up. Uh, cobalt is notorious for uh, damaging uh, and destroying the land uh, through the mining process. You've got uh, the pharma thing, um, which is um, and which is really these pharmacy people have gotten super rich and they're they're funneling the money back into campaigns. And then you've got the the COVID thing, which is the reason why these pharma companies have uh, have blown up in the first place. Much of that being our own tax dollars. Yeah. And then you've got the Wuhan lab thing coming from China. And then you think, okay, well, no wonder we're not hearing anything from the summit because all this information is all tied together. And if we really talked, if we really knew what was going on here, it would destroy the whole system that these people seem to be perpetrating on us. Aren't you, you hit it on the head. And mainstream media is completely complicit in this as they're owned. Yeah. They're totally owned. So uh, a third, probably a quarter of the population that relies on that for their news you know, you try to talk to them and tell them a few of these things that we brought up and they don't believe you. They think, oh, what did you get that off of Fox News? <laughs> and, and then it's dismissed. It's allowed yeah. to be dismissed. It's so crazy. That, but that's the whole strategy, right? Is that it is. just like Rittenhouse has become a, a bad word, just like Trump has become Trump wasn't a bad word until he, he became became a uh, president or as an independent, basically right. someone outside the swamp yeah. that made everyone panic. Everybody loved him, though. They all loved his money there. You see all these people. I wouldn't say everyone loved him. him. He's well, a sleazy all, guy, but they were all like they loved his money. That's oh, what they true. loved. Right. Yes, so yes, they yes, were yes, all yes. over, you know, they they invite him over here, invite him over there. And then yeah. when it was see, this is the whole thing is that they've got a tactic, a smear tactic that when they when they're done with you, they 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 put you in the media machine and mm -hmm. you come out like crap. Yeah, that's, uh, that's for the sure. whole thing. Oh, hey, wait, I want to make sure we cover this because we talked about it last mm. week. This uh, Pen Peng Shui, I think that's how you say her. Oh last yes, name, yes, the, uh, yeah. She turned player. up. She turned well, up. She turned up on uh, first. Like we talked about last week, there was an email that the the CCP put out there, and uh, we we heard about how she was uh, was out there. But the uh, the what is it? The American or the uh, International Tennis League? They said that uh, hey, that's not good enough, and um, they they. Uh, Let's see here. I'm trying to find this. Uh, so now there's all these pictures of her that are out there and uh, they've got video of her having having dinner with some friends. But there's still some speculation about is she really free? Is she really is this oh, yeah. really uh, is she really able to really bring charges against the uh, ex uh, vice chair? Oh, I I'm sure she denounced that. I, that they have video of her denouncing that. And uh, I heard that somewhere and it sounded like, oh, my God, there's somebody afraid for their life.
Here's what Steve Simon said, the uh, WTA World Tennis Association president. He said, I'm glad to see the videos released by China state run media that appear to show Feng Shui at, at uh, a restaurant in Beijing. While it is positive to see her, it remains unclear if she's free and able to make decisions and take action on her own without coercion and external sure. interference. Uh, the video is insufficient. So mm. uh, he's still saying that um, until he realizes that, uh, that uh, the, the, the future of China being a part of the association is, uh, is still to be determined. So At we'll see what happens. But I don't, I, it, it, yeah, yeah. And um, boy, knowing the CCP the way that they are, though, they definitely have, uh, have control of that whole thing. So very right. interesting. Here's something that I found interesting was there was a a video that had Winnie the Pooh in the background and um, Winnie the Pooh. The, uh, I don't actually have it, but apparently okay. uh, Winnie the Pooh is um, not something that they're able to show in Chinese media because of the similarity between Winnie the Pooh and Xi Jinping. It's hilarious to me. Oh my God. <laughs> so... <laughs> That kind of ruins Winnie the Pooh for me that they think he looks I like. I love Winnie the Pooh when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, I me too. All right, let's uh, round this up with some more local stuff for you. Can you hear this? Uh, yes. Oh, no, it's kind of in the background. Oh, I see. I understand. I hate when I do that. I just didn't seem to get the option for the sound. But what I'm trying to show you is um, about dozens of looters uh, target California Nordstrom's in a very violent robbery. And uh, this is getting so disturbing. I saw people running down the street. I probably saw 50 to 80 people in like ski masks, crowbars, night, like a bunch of weapons. In one dramatic scene, a car veered around a police SUV to make a getaway, but another officer stopped him with his gun drawn. Three people were arrested. All are charged with robbery. One of them is also charged with being a felon in possession of a gun. NBC Bay Area has obtained a still image from a security camera inside Nordstrom's during the robbery. A company spokesperson says five of their employees were injured. Police saying at least three workers were assaulted, one with pepper spray. And tonight, there is still cause for concern. Walnut Creek police took to social media, warning about the possibility of another robbery. Some high-end shops like Tiffany's closed early. Janet Catalano and Marnie Pantar were the last customers in the store as staff locked their doors. How are they in there? They're a little nervous. Definitely. They are a little nervous, for sure, as, as I would be, too, if I worked retail in this area right now. In a prepared statement, the mayor of Walnut Creek says the city is actively working to try to prevent any of these incidents from happening here again. And you can see that they're already taking efforts. The street going through Broadway Plaza Mall has been blocked off for most of the day. And police officers are everywhere. Nordstrom's is still closed, a bit of an inconvenience for customer Frank Augustin, who couldn't return a pair of shoes. It's such a shame that, you know, we have to worry about this. And you see it in San Francisco, at, you know, with the Louis Vuitton on Friday night. The situation in Walnut Creek coming just 24 hours after a similar robbery in San Francisco. Nine stores were either burglarized or vandalized. Some store workers were also. All right, that's enough. Uh, thank you to N A yeah NBC News on that. They get full credit for that. But okay, at what point, people, do we say all right, the defunding the police thing and uh, 
giving people credit for being able to steal $950 worth of merchandise at a time it are dumb ideas. Boy, I tell you what, um, you're, you're seeing a pattern here, right? I mean, we've got this, uh, one of them is the DAs in both of these towns, Waukesha with the uh, with this thing that happened with the 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 guy that ran over all of those people, I guess it's six dead now. Um, right. And uh, and you've also got this thing in San Francisco. Both of these DAs have been advocates of uh, uh, of of really not criminalizing the criminals. And uh, both of them have serious funding that have come from George Soros as well. That's a problem across the country, yeah. actually. And so, you know, what they've done is they've let these people out uh, with with very low bail or no bail whatsoever. They, they, they've all they're both into bail, what they call bail reform, where they're letting violent criminals out on the street. And when they're when they're caught, uh, they let them back out oftentimes with no bail to terrorize our cities now and they're this is, arguing this is happening they're arguing that under the guise of that this is uh this is a prejudice against poverty poverty stricken people because they don't have the money for a bail but if you if you're richer and commit a crime you obviously have the money but what isn't being looked at is the the, the risk assessment all right this guy uh that did the Waukesha. Is yes. that a, all right. Committed those atrocities already had, I think, nine, maybe 10 other felonies under his belt, serious crimes, the last of which being trying to run over his girlfriend or ex-wife. Yeah. So, okay, yeah he's already tried to run over somebody. And then yeah. his bail was a thousand dollars. It was only a risk couple assessment. of weeks before this happened. He tried it, it, to yeah, run over about, his girlfriend. It's yeah, it's uh madness it's pure madness right and, right. and again we back on the we're street. putting this all under the guise of some kind of a prejudice or something and well, uh, it's it's interesting to me to see these people now talking tough you know we don't yeah. we won't accept this in our town both of them are yeah. saying those kinds of things when they're the ones that actually caused this to happen and our governor as well here in california is oh we're not going to accept this we're going to prosecute them to yeah. the fullest extent well wait a second governor newsom you're the guy during covid that let all of these violent criminals out of jail saying that they they the risk was too high to keep them in jail because of COVID. What? Yeah. You, you, you're, you guys are the ones that are letting these people out on the streets, making it so unsafe. And now look, you had what something nearly 50 people were seriously injured uh, in this car thing. I don't even know what to call it. It was so yeah. sick. And uh, we got six people dead. One of them is a little kid. Uh, I saw a video where one little kid, and he couldn't have been more than three years old. She almost got just mowed down by that car yeah. shortly before he just right. drove right into the crowd. What a sick, evil thing that's going on here. And we've got to we've got to really pay attention to who we're electing here, especially yes. local areas, because. Did it's really it's incumbent on us to make sure we don't fall for these platitudes that we hear about racism and everything. They're using that to destroy yeah. our communities. Well, you got dummies that are really gullible people like uh, who's that squad members. Her name, Rashida. Mm -hmm. uh, what's her name? Rashida Tlaib. That's what I thought it was. 
I got, I saw a video of her like yesterday and somebody was asking her, asking her, okay, so with what we've seen, the atrocities lately, you have been this proponent of letting everybody out of the federal prisons. Do you see that anything could go sideways there? And she stuttered and stammered and laughed like Kamala, you know, the nervous, mm. totally unprepared. How do you have such a radical for years, like have such a radical stance and have no way of answering that question? It's like a complete fool. Like, okay, how did they not know that this was going to happen eventually, too? Right. I mean, this is the whole thing. And this is it. This is where I think uh, the most insulting thing is, is that they think that we're idiots and that we're just going to buy whatever they say, even when they don't even say anything like we're, you're, you're, the example you're giving that we're just going to give them a pass for this because we're that they'll dumb. They'll wrap it in racism. And then you they can't really have the will. conversation. Got yeah. a, a final thing, uh, lighten this up because we're going to just get into the after show. We're okay. And, uh, but this is a really good one. And we can do anything, says Deaf High School. Oh, I saw team. this. Did you? Yeah. So cool, yeah. man. They go on to Deaf High School football team in California, your uh, whereabouts. I uh, defied all odds and came up with this undefeated season. This is like amazing to me. It really is. Yeah, I have a video of it, but it's about, yeah, it's three minutes long. I don't want to go through all of that. Uh, and I'm sorry they deserve it, though. But the, the players and coaches rely on the American Sign Language uh, to, to communicate. And quote, it's inspiring for the deaf community, quite honestly, 11 and 0. And we've never experienced this being this far in the playoffs, said Coach Keith Adams on ABC News. The community is so excited. The morale has been uplifted. The self-esteem of our has uplifted the self-esteem of our players. You can see a major difference. And uh I'll leave a link for this in the show notes because the video is worth watching and uh, the players being interviewed is super inspiring. So it's really, it's just terrific. And I mean, I can't believe that they can overcome some, the, how do you communicate like that on a football field and have that kind of effectiveness? Well, you know, it's interesting when I think about it, uh, you know, I played, I played a little high, high school football and uh, I remember uh, thinking about how we had to communicate on the field. And sometimes what they would do is they would uh, try to simulate uh, the noise of the crowd, which that, that never worked in high school. But, you know, you, you, when there really is crowd noise, you can't really hear very well That's a good out point. there. So sometimes it, it could be an advantage to not be able to hear. I remember I was a wide receiver and um one of the things that uh, would happen is, especially if it was like a pop pass over the middle, and as you're running to catch that, you and the ball's in the air, you hear the people all around you that are coming to crush you, and that can just freak you out, and you not, and you you, not, you lose your focus. So sometimes I could see it being an advantage, but but kudos to them. I can I oh, can yeah. see it was a, a big uphill battle for them, and eleven and oh, that is spectacular. Hey Barry, I've got. One thing I wanted to share with you, mm. um, this is, uh, <laughs> I was talking to Hallie and Brandon uh, when they were over the other day, my kids, and uh, we were talking about, have, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? Uh, do, do, are, you know, you never see a little pigeon out there. So we decided to look it up and here's what we found. 
it's, it's what a baby oh my picture God. looks like. Oh. <laughs> oh. So that is a face only a mother could love right there. Apparently, yeah. the reason we don't see baby pigeons is that they stay in the nest until for a long time, actually, until they actually grow their feathers out. Oh. So nobody actually gets to see this, but... This is probably one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in my life. This this is a good reason, a further evidence of why you should listen to this podcast rather than watch the video. <laughs> hey, by anyway. the way, I want to mention that we are now on our video. If you do prefer video, our video is now on Spotify. Uh, YouTube will probably eventually eliminate our video altogether. So it'd be great. Uh, I'm going to start sharing that Spotify link along with the YouTube. And it'd be great if some of you convert over there. That would be fantastic. Right on, and Mary. with that, the best thing you could do is go to over50startingover.com and sign up for our email list so you get everything as it happens. See you guys next week.